There you go. G'day. What up? We're a bit late. Oh, well, you know, here we are. We I'm made here. it. I'm already having a beer because it's like four o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got any. We should make a thing that we do each time, maybe. Yeah, if we do it at this time. Yeah, I, I can do, yeah, usually around now. Yeah, it's it's like a little bit easier if we do it at the same time. But anyway, we got in, here at the end. Window, it's fine. There he is. Yeah. No, that's my bad. Um, yeah, late change up in the uh, the routine. So apologies. I learned something today. Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, so Jared, were you the one that put me on to Cloudways as a, a host? Yeah. Yeah, they're the best. Well, it's very easy to spin up and manage stuff. Yeah, so the coolest thing about it when I first started using them was like you can scale. So so basically it's it's just a UI, so they're not actually hosting your stuff. It's just a UI that you're accessing, and then you can kind of choose who the back-end host is. So you can spin up a website and be like, okay, I'm going to use AWS to host this or I'm going to use Google or DigitalOcean and it'll give you the prices and whatnot. And then the coolest thing is you can just, if you're expecting a lot of traffic, you can scale it up, pay a bit more money and then scale it down, which is what we used to do at Black Ops when we used to do a beer release. If, if we you got to clone crazy. the servers when you used to have to do that. Yeah, exactly. However. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know where you're headed. Right. So, Cloudways, DigitalOcean own Cloudways, yeah. right? So they bought them for like $400 million or something stupid. And Isn't that insane that they just created this epic user experience of these underlying um, infrastructure? And support. Their support is unbelievable. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I've got my own Cloudways server. When, when I was with Black Ops, I had the Black Ops one. Black Ops one was hosted on AWS, I think, from memory. My one is hosted on DigitalOcean, which is the company that owns Cloudways. And my my recollection of DigitalOcean was it was just kind of like a real no frills, kind of like developer friendly host, right? I think you might've put me onto them as well, like way back in the day. Possibly. Um, <clears throat> but apparently with Digital, so, so when you set up a new server, you choose the host and basically like DigitalOcean is by far the cheapest. And it, it, it actually tells you, you know, you can scale up and down, no problems. And like it sort of puts that as like this is the benefit of kind of using this thing, but apparently with DigitalOcean you can't scale it down. You can only scale it up, which I just which I just found out. So I got my hosting bill and I'm like, why is this so high? And I remember I I, I jacked up the RAM for some reason a month or two ago and forgotten about it. Um, and tried to scale it down, and it wouldn't let me. And basically, yeah, you have to you have to clone the entire server. Yeah. You have to copy, well, when you clone the server, all the applications and websites come across with it. But that means you've got a new IP on a new server. So you have to update all of the DNS on all of the domains. And I've got about 20 domains um, to the new server. Then you have to go and reinstall an SSL certificate on every single domain, even just the forwarding domains. So I've had to do that on 20 different ones, including the Yarn Solo one and the, my other podcast, Boss and the Brewer and all that. I'd have to do that all this, after, this afternoon, like literally just now. And then you have to go into your old server and delete the entire fucking thing, which is kind of nerve-wracking, which I literally just did when you want to hit the Zoom link. Um, so 
I've been through that because I have like a couple of, you know, web apps running on Cloudways and the same same issues. You bump it up, but then it, like your traffic isn't consistent. So you you want to be able to have it being billed for what you, you know, you don't want to be overpaid, do, do you? But that's the whole benefit. Like I thought that was the whole benefit of the Cloudways thing is you can kind Easily of bumped it. up. You can move it down, but um, yeah, you have to clone it until... And I don't this this maybe you haven't done it, but have you have you moved to the new Cloudways user experience, like the new UI? On, on one of my clients, I've seen it. On my one, I, I haven't. Because inside of there, they now have auto scale apps, but it only works if you're running WordPress. So they automatically scale up and down. Oh, really? Correct. What yes. based on but, what? Well, based on whatever the parameters are that you set. Um, but, but how does it auto, know when to scale up? Like with traffic, Cloudways auto scale. Stop worrying about traffic spikes. Scales up and down based on um, demand. So that that would actually solve your issue. That is seriously cool. So that's you can do that if you access the new um, the new Cloudways thing. I haven't moved my site over to it yet. Um, do you have? To, you don't, it's just a UI change, isn't it? You don't have to actually move the site. Yeah, but you got to create an auto scale server. So you got to copy your apps to the auto scale server. Uh, okay. So it's the same thing that you'd be doing now to scale back down, but you'd be going to auto scale. Yeah. Yeah. But you do it once. You do it once and then you're done. That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a damn cool feature. That's going to save people a lot of time. A bit more expensive than base, but um, yeah, you don't have to think about it. If it was more than WordPress, I'd be super stoked for that. I'd be doing it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other things. But, but the scaling up and down thing, it's only if you host with DigitalOcean. So if you host on Google Cloud or AWS or whatever the other ones are, you can just scale it down. Press save, no problem. So anyway, that, that's what I learned today. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What did you learn, Dave? Um, I learned a hell of a lot about uh, art on Bitcoin. Um, it was the uh, the three hundred dimensions uh, mint today for for Onchain Monkey. So oh, nice. it's been a, uh, a a chaotic day. Started very, very early. The mint window opened at like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., I think, uh, Eastern time, Australian time, and um, was for four hours. So everyone was frantically just making sure that it all worked. And OCM and Metagood had created a brand new mint experience for, um, for minting NFTs on Bitcoin, which they un unveiled uh, today, which was, was very cool. Um, so a lot of new tech was, um, unveiled, uh, by, by the MetaGood team and, um, yeah, it's been, been a hell of a day. So we, um, the whitelist for that, I think was 300 people cost was 0.08 Bitcoin. So it was about equivalent to one ETH, I think, for, to get a spot on that 300 list. Um, and I think as of last sale, the floor's sitting at around one Bitcoin. So did you get to, so you minted? Yeah. Holy shit, man. Mm. That's a win. That's huge. That's a win. So yeah, it's been a big day. So what was involved yeah, with you doing that? How did you, how did you get to do that? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a deep dive on, you know, what JPEGs mean on Bitcoin, but over the last couple of months, well, probably, you know, since uh, sort of like January, February, um, They've been developing a protocol which is called the Ordinals Protocol, which has allowed people to essentially do non-fungible tokens uh, on Bitcoin, which 
it's something that wasn't previously sort of possible. Um, and basically what the protocol allows is for people to inscribe arbitrary data onto a single Satoshi, like one micro piece of a Bitcoin. And um, so there's been this big kind of um, experimental build phase that a lot of these Bitcoin kind of developers have done over the, you know, since February um, to, you know, build out the tooling for for people to kind of create the a similar NFT kind of marketplace that exists on Ethereum within the Bitcoin ecosystem. And today was like another step closer to that. And the difference about everything being uh, on Bitcoin is that it's entirely on chain. So, you know, that's a bit, another bit of a discussion that's, you know, probably for those who are listening that aren't too aware of NFTs, um, uh, a lot of the artwork that exists on the NFTs is actually just a pointer from the token to a URL, which hosts mm. the, the file. Um, easily ruggable. Easily ruggable. So if you don't pay your server fees and they uh, shut down your server and you lose your images, then that token pointer goes nowhere. Uh, so for the entire for the entire um, collection. collection. Collection, right. yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and that's happened. You know, all people can just change the image. They just upload a new image over the top of the old one in the same place. And, you know, all of wow. a sudden, that's that NFT was. that you thought you had, this artwork is a different piece of artwork. Oh, my and, God. Uh, and some of these things are like, like when you sent through Jared, it was like $6 million or something. Well, see, they're all done properly. They're on chain. So that's, mm. um, that, that's, a, that, that's just the differentiator. But whereas Bitcoin, that's the only way to do, isn't it, Dave? That's it. Yeah. The only way to do it is actually to inscribe the art on the data, uh, you know, using the data itself um, and then playing that back off of the, the Satoshi or off of the Bitcoin. So um, what they, what, what Danny and Danny Yang, uh, the, the CEO of MetaGood and the, the team have done is um, basically make it, made it possible now to create 3D, high resolution 3D art on Bitcoin, streaming straight from Bitcoin itself. Um and yeah, they they kind of debuted that tech today, and it was it's it's pretty phenomenal what they've been able to achieve. So it's going to unlock a whole world of opportunity for people who want to you know take on chain art seriously and digital art seriously. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of exciting what's coming next. You know, they're they're already working with um, Bugatti uh, as a global brand to to kick off one of their NFT drops, which when they saw the tech that um, they were developing, moved their entire. Um, NFT collection that they were going to drop on Ethereum. Um, Bugatti basically called called up MetaGood and said, we're not going to do it on Ethereum anymore. We want to do it on Bitcoin um, and we want to do it using your tech. So um, Bugatti, you've got this big egg collection that's all based around their, um, you know, they've done it in partnership with Asprey Studios. It's 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 very, very high-end art. Um, and yeah, they're putting it all on Bitcoin using uh, some of this tech that Danny and the MetaGood team have uh, sort of, built over the last sort of few so months. Why, so why would they do that? Like, as a, like, what's the benefit to them? Uh, well, the first thing is permanence. So when you're talking about digital art, you know, a lot of it's, firstly, it's impermanent. It just lives on a server somewhere. If that server goes down, then the images go down with it or it lives on a website. But you can do on-chain stuff in Ethereum, right? Yeah, of course. Yep. Yep, you can do on-chain stuff. What's the benefit of Bitcoin over Ethereum for them? I mean, it's the the most stable, most decentralized, largest net Bitcoin. Uh, sorry, largest crypto network there is. Yeah, uh, cryptocurrency network. So, um, it's yeah, the absolute. It's the you know, how would you even describe that, Jared? Um, the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's it's a 
No, no I, I, I understand the difference between the two. Yeah. I just wonder. I wondered if there was benefits for them other than the fact that it's Bitcoin. I yeah, mean, I mean, there's some good experimentation going on, and I think there's a lot of people that have done the stuff in the Ethereum space already. Mm. Some new people doing stuff in Bitcoin probably gets a bit more attraction. There's some marketing angle to it too. Um, the tooling isn't as good as Ethereum, like that's that's for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a net positive for the space that there's other ways and means to to make this stuff happen. What's the well, how's it affected Bitcoin price? Well, we're in Rec City at the moment, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, think yeah, it's it's. I mean, the the ordinal space is so small. It's yeah. it's a very much a, a handful of people experimenting um, in a very small way that has no impact on the you know the the, the multi billion dollar kind of market. <laughs> I saw a really good explanation about all of all of this today. It was a really good analogy, and um, you know we're sort of talking right now um, from the lens of you know imagine if if we were all interested in light bulbs. And every single one of us was conversing about our favorite type of filament. But, you know, what we really should be talking about is the light and what you can do with the light and how it fills the room and all that sort of crazy stuff. Um, so right now, the people involved in that space, me, Dave, et cetera, we're just geeks talking about filaments. Um, but the people yeah. that are actually going to benefit from these type of technologies is all the front-end stuff, and that's, um, you know, yet to be seen still very early um for sure oh but i just wondered if like obviously it's a small thing but in terms of it affecting the price like using bitcoin for something like this i would have thought would be would kind of shut up some of the detractors because like bitcoin is not really used for much of this ecosystem or hasn't been it's It's kind of just something people buy to hang on to and yeah like there's so it's been really interesting when it first launched. Basically, there's a lot of Bitcoin maxis that saw it as a you know, um, what are you doing to our pure chain that is developed for this one thing and one thing only? And they absolutely hated oh, wow. the idea of inscribing arbitrary random data onto the the Bitcoin network. And there was all this fear about clogging the network and taking up block space <laughs> and blah blah blah. And you know, it, it's it's really funny because some of that still sort of goes on, but. I think people have sort of started to come around to the fact that being able to utilize, you know, block space uh, on the the most secure network is, um, you know, for outside things and just storing value um, is incredibly valuable. So that, you know, the fact that you can have one Satoshi, which is one, whatever God millionth of a one Bitcoin um, and inscribe data on that, that basically then means that that single Satoshi is worth now, x amount right it unlocks untold value throughout that mm. ecosystem well you've, um, you've you see things like blackrock um come out today they're the biggest asset managers on the planet you know trillions of dollars of assets under management talking about the tokenization of everything stocks bonds all of it and it's because of this type of stuff that you're talking about that you can actually effectively do that so while it seems like oh a picture of a monkey on a satoshi like it, there's more to it than that it's the potential mm. tokenization of stocks assets bonds real estate all of it in like a completely immutable um data 
which is the, which is the part that gets me excited. Still, we're still talking about filaments though, mm. for the most part. So, so with so when so you got one Satoshi with the image on it, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Satoshi has a value which is like whatever percentage of the Bitcoin price. Mm-hmm. At the moment, every Satoshi is worth the same amount as the next Satoshi, right? Mm-hmm. So if if this particular Satoshi has a monkey inscribed on it and someone places value on that monkey, can you, you, you to sell that monkey, you sell that Satoshi to the other person? Mm-hmm. And you can't, can you, you can't move that monkey off the Satoshi. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're there forever. And it brings more value to that Satoshi than it would otherwise have. Yeah. And th- this is the, this is the cool part, right? So over the last sort of few months, there's this sort of, group of people that have sprung up and they've been around for a while but in the back shadows but now that you can actually do this thing with ordinals it's become to the come to the forefront which are called sat hunters so what they do is they go through and find the sats which have been like mined in 2009 or used for the you know the pizza um purchase or like these very very specific satoshis which are all you know they've all got their data um there to prove when they were mined and all of that sort of stuff. So like dates are important. Um, what they were used for is important. And now they're starting to put meta around that. So you have like uh, block 78 um, Satoshis, which is like the third ever, I think, block to get mined. And the oh, sorry, the third ever block to use, be used for an actual Bitcoin transaction, uh, which is what these particular ordinals that, Danny inscribed today are inscribed on. So they're inscribed on a block 78 from 2009. It's like fine wine in a way, right? Like you get these like kind of crazy valuations just because this particular Satoshi was mined in a particular block and used for a particular thing that then kind of like throws all the valuations out the window again. So how did he, how did he get access to that block? Uh, So he works pretty closely with mining companies. So Danny's, uh, background in Bitcoin goes back to like 2009, 2010. And some people think even further uh, than what he's letting on. <laughs> um, so basically two of the investor companies uh, in his portfolio um, are the two of the largest blockchain mining companies in North America. Um, and so they you know, work pretty closely with them to do very specific things in terms of that um, space and have access to a ton of stuff that normal people We'll never have access to. So yeah, F two F two pool or something is it? Uh, one of them is called Hut Eight, and yeah. I think the other one is uh, the other one escapes me from memory. But I know one of them is called Hut Eight, um, which is pretty cool. So would previously before the ordinals thing would it would no one have like did no one care what Satoshi was what? Ah, uh, there were that like they people definitely did, um, but it was just a complete underground thing. It was yeah. like, you know, if you were in the club, you knew about it. If you didn't, no one knew about it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, these sat hunters, all of a sudden they're in high demand because people wanted to inscribe their art on very particular sats. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It started a whole kind of, well, it started a whole uh, NFT kind of ecosystem on Bitcoin now, which is pretty cool. That's but we're still really just talking about backends, aren't we? Yeah. For the yeah. most part, I mean, like you talk about the culture and things happening on projects. That's front end. That's experience. That's community. That's the cool stuff. But yeah, well, we're so early that we're still here discussing the hows and the technicalities and 
I just don't think anyone will ever see that stuff. It'll be abstracted away. You won't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and this is really interesting because um, it almost loops right back to our first discussion point, which was um, websites. And today I came across framer.com, uh, which is essentially like a one click website builder uh, using AI. And <laughs> my God, you know, I sent it to my brother and I said, check this out because he's a web developer. And I said, you know, like card was good. I don't know if anyone used card to do sort of websites. Um, but then this is takes it to another level. So you can do all sorts at, of it does things. iPhone apps as well. Nice, <laughs> mate. Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about abstraction of technology and hundred percent. It's it's gonna yeah, ramp up very quickly. Well, the equivalent, us talking about like, you know, blockchains and this and that is kind of like going back to 1990s and saying, oh, you'll need to know PHP to send an email. Mm. Like, and people did have to know that, but yeah. you don't now. You just experience through these, you know, these things. Yeah, it was really interesting. One of the, um during the Twitter spaces, one of the, uh, one of the guys who was on the the, the list for the 300, um, He's uh came on to chat on the Twitter space and they sort of introduced him as uh you know a, a tech OG. Um and I'm gonna find his name because I don't want to get this wrong. Um I'm gonna see if I can find it. Uh his name is Ian Rogers. Um and he's currently, I think, the experience manager or the you know the, the the experienced designer at um at Ledger, but the interesting part about him was his background. And I don't know if you two remember Winamp at all, the yeah. music player. So he was uh he was part of that team that built Winamp back in the day, and he was also telling us a story about how they built the first ever movie website uh, for Showgirls, um, <laughs> which was like back in the day and just running us through like what was involved with that. And this is all when they were in their early twenties uh, experimenting was sort of like in the, in the nineties. And um, it was just amazing to hear what they had to build when they, you know, like all of the tech, they had to know everything. It was like carrying boxes and cables and just to keep websites up. They had, you know, it was, it was nuts. And it's sort of it for him, he was describing what we're going through now with the blockchain space and with ordinals and with Bitcoin is a very similar feeling as what they were doing back in the nineties with, with websites. And he just draws so many parallels to that. And he's like, yeah, like this is, it's happening and it's here and this train is well and truly out the station. So, you know, he's now working with um, a whole bunch of, you know, top tier companies and top tier builders who built big stuff back in the nineties about reusing it for, um, you know, utilizing now the blockchain to, to reinvent a lot of what they did. So it's, it's definitely, um, when, while you don't hear about it in the mainstream media, you can bet the, that there's a ton of people working on some really cool stuff across the mm. world in blockchain. It's good. That's crazy. Winamp was awesome. You just have to like wait like four hours, five hours to download one song and then you just listen to that like a thousand times. Well, I got cool skins for your win out too. Yeah. I got into customizing them. So yeah. I, yeah, so I started, that was probably like one of the first things I would tinker with on in terms of digital art was customizing um, Winamp skins. So I, Bring them back. Bring it back. Yeah. Like, oh, it was so much fun. You used to have like, it was, they, they were just bitmaps, right? So you would have to open them up in like um, MS Paint and it would yeah. just be a bitmap. 
and then you would have like colors which you would use to uh, like create like the, all the different channels and bits and pieces and man it was it was it was a lot of just like clicking pixels but when you came out with something cool it was it was super fun so see i was involved in the more nefarious parts of that world the <laughs> st- the the hacking ripper groups that would take oh. media from websites and put them up as like you know leaks in the hip hop realm <laughs> um, but you know a lot of my skill sets were, were were forged in that fire of um downloading illegal music well i mean like that was like it was awesome you had limewire you had napster you had BitTorrent. Um, BitTorrent, you had all sorts of stuff where you could do. I remember the first time you could do like multi, multi-streaming, multi like actually get like a ton of different links and download like all the parts of the files from multiple different sources. I thought it was like, that was genius. I was like, this is awesome. Well, so many parallels there to all of what we're talking about though. Like that was such a geek central place back then, wasn't it? Like even just downloading a song illegally and putting it on Winamp and like now you don't even need to think about any of it. Just what you want to listen to. Yeah, it took a long time. It, it took it. It took um, a company. Uh, yeah, I guess a company. Uh, Apple kind of figured it out, didn't they? Basically, just by selling selling individual songs, and then eventually Spotify kind of figured it out by streaming. But for so long, like I was still buying CDs because I had a guilty conscience about stealing people's music, <laughs> and. You, you literally just couldn't get it in a convenient way. So you, you just no. buy CDs. And then at one point we were buying CDs and my mate had like a a mini disc player or some shit and we'd like rip the CD onto the mini disc and then you get like an MP3 file. But yeah, it took how many years did it take? Like a decade before you could actually like properly buy. It took like basically bringing out the iPod pretty much until you could actually properly legally buy like digital music. Mm. And then it got even easier with the streaming afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, there was still an art to launching or to releasing music, I should say, back, you know, I mean, there still is today, but the the CD, the physical, was so much a part of the uh, marketing of uh, whatever band or whatever music, right? But it was... Because they had the budgets to do it, you got some awesome stuff. Like you got great cover art, you got great like digi packs and this. Got all the lyrics and shit. Oh, like sometimes you know, like the albums were good, but then like some of those like you know, I remember opening the the Fear Factory obsolete digi pack for the first time, and it was just mind blowing. I spent hours and hours and hours pouring over everything like that. It was it was crazy and. That's a that's a part of the music experience that I think I miss the most. Is dude, it was way it was way better. Like that's that is that's gone now. It was mm. way better. Yeah, I think there's a there's an opportunity for the right artist to come along to help people rediscover that because I think it in it will find its way, you know, back in some way because you you still that you, you can't replicate that experience really. Um, as much as they've tried to do it with like kind of cool launch stuff online and these digital launch parties and streaming the album live and all of that sort of stuff. Um, sitting with a physical object and just like having the time to like turn it over and get <laughs> into it. And yeah, you, you can't really replicate that in any way. So, um, so yeah, I grew up with that, cool. but at the same time, I disagree that um, 
everyone is in the same sentiment of missing it. Um, because if I was to ask people who'd never had that, it's it, it, it could come as a novelty to them, but I don't think they miss that experience. Yeah, my kids, wouldn't even know, my kids wouldn't even know what that is. They just they like, wouldn't get it. Now, it might be a novelty. And like you said, I think someone could like sell something quite nicely and like, but it, it would be a small part of the audience that would even resonate with that. It's, well, yeah, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't really change it. Like if I had to choose to go back to how it was or now, I'd stay with now because I like the fact that I can just get whatever music anytime I want on my phone. And yeah. the convenience but then saying that, like I've got my my albums on the wall there um, and there's a whole thing about that that was awesome, like the physicality of putting a record on the player. Well, that's I, that, records have kind of almost become that, haven't they? Like people who are really into music, in that sense and nostalgic about it, they get into records and they get buy a record player and they actually still go out and buy physical records. For sure. But like my kids look at that and the way that they think of music is they just go into their Google play, Google home and say, Hey, Google play a song. Like that's, yeah. they, they'll never understand that physical experience. It just seems foreign. It Which, used to be like a real event. Like I, I remember the last, I think it was probably the last album I ever bought was the strokes. Is this it? Like their first album. Um, and me and my mate went to the motor show in Brisbane and I was like early twenties, I think. And it was, it was like an event to go to JB Hi-Fi, pay 20 bucks to buy this album. I'd heard it was awesome and it was fucking awesome. And I, I took, I took it with me to the motor show. And then after that, we went to the Pado Tavern and we were so excited about listening to this CD that we went up to the bar staff and went, can you guys put this on at the bar? Cause we want to listen to it. So we sat there at the bar and they played the whole album. We just sat there drinking beers, listening to the whole album and I'm going back to mine and listen to it again. And it's still probably my, my favorite album of all time. And um, that's just, that experience is, I, I didn't know at the time, but that was the last time that ever happened and that will never happen again. That just doesn't happen anymore. But see, here's where I kind of disagree, right? Like, because I just don't think that like, that's part of the music discovery, like meta at the moment, right? But this is what I mean about like you, because of that experience and that coupling of a physical experience with the music, it's ingrained in your memory as something that's probably greater than it was for other people, right? Yeah. When, and this is what I mean about like an artist coming along and enabling that for their fans. And then all of a sudden, like there's a new meta and it might be like, like it might be like album listening parties at someone's house, like comes back for what, like for whatever reason, these mm. kids all of a sudden just start like, oh, we've got an, there's an album coming out and we can't listen to it until like they drop on this thing, but we're all going to get together. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a VR, VR, AR type thing. It might be. And, 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 but I think like where we're at now, where like there's a competition in the sort of the race to the bottom for like releasing music where it's just like drop a song, drop a song, drop a song, drop a song, right? It's going to reach a certain level where that's almost like doesn't work anymore. And then you have the the pendulum will swing back and it'll become much more that they'll, they'll have to tie more experience into that process to have a point of difference for to give their audience like something to talk about. Well, my kids, my kids have done that with Fortnite with the with the launches of Fortnite when they have oh, like yeah. the, new, the new map releases or whatever it is, and they have like Travis Scott or like Marshmallow or someone amazing set in the game, and that and they will all like my kids stayed up till like twelve o'clock or one o'clock in the morning. To all be there with their friends live in the game as this is happening, as he's performing those songs. So it's like that's almost like a new version that they're experiencing now that we couldn't experience then. Yeah. I mean, like just and then say, hey, he, there's that experience. 
Now go and tell them, here's your CD, open up the case and read the book. Doesn't work. It's it's not gonna not gonna translate. Um, but yeah, no, not, I, I, yeah. I have seen some pretty cool stuff done. Like Eminem has started releasing cassette decks because it's important to him. But like they sell out. Like there's there's still people you know collecting and getting different types of experiences. I think it's really cool. What? Well, I mean, it's you know it's vintage fashion, right? Like you see all the kids these days that dress like we dressed in the nineties, and you're like, that's embarrassing. But I'm not going to tell you that. Um, Dude, we should we should talk about fashion because we've obviously got the same stylist. Oh shit! I just realized that then. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. That's probably something. You know, the old flannel. So. The red and black flannel. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really interesting just to watch these kind of waves of how people can consume things. Um, to the, and and in the way it works. So it'll be interesting to see what's next. It's yeah. not going to be NF- the same. But- NFT segue into that like quite nicely as um, potential ways that experiences can happen around music and with music and fan ownership of music. I think there's some cool stuff that could happen there. And events too, like the stuff you yep. worked on, Dave, like the, the concerts seem to be bigger than ever, like fucking Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran and these, these people are selling out gigantic stadiums more so like they're breaking all-time records. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because at the top end of town, it is bigger than ever. Um, and I think that's down to the social sharing aspect of what's going on. So like the kids see everyone else at a concert and then they want to go to the concert. Right. So they all get out their phones and it's just a network effect. Mm. Um, at the bottom end of the town, it's totally different. You go to a gig these days and there might be lucky to be 10, 15, 20 people at a show on a weekend at your bar. Right. So this kind of, it's less about the music and itself rather than the social status and the experience and being able to say I was there with everybody else. I mean, you only have to look at the way that Splendor's gone in the last over over and how much that's changed in the last 15 years, 10 years to see it's like the it turned into Coachella. Mate, it you could like yeah. I mean, it was kind of you go and everyone is just everyone's watching that behind but through a phone. Yeah. They're standing there like this, right? They're watching the the thing that's happening in front of them on the stage, which is incredible. They're watching it through their device, and you're yeah. like, "What is going on?" And then you realize they're not there because they're there to get that so they can share it to tell people they were there to get all the likes because it makes them feel a part of the crowd online not because they were at the concert itself. It always looks and sounds so shit too. Like I, I get in that habit too where I'm like, oh, I'll put this on my social media because it sounds good and you watch it back later and you're like, it just sounds like shit. Like I shouldn't have even put it on there. Because they're not they're not filming it to watch it later. Yeah. That's not the purpose of why they're capturing that moment. They're capturing it to prove to other people in their social circles that they were there and you weren't. Right, no, I get what you're saying, but I'm just yeah. saying like it's it's not it's not really that good for the audience to see it online anyway, because it doesn't do it justice really. No, it's just it sucks, but it's yeah. not a, as, yeah, it's that it's got nothing to do with what's happening on the stage. Yeah. I might've done that at the Harry Styles concert. But it's, and it, and it's not something that happens. Like it's only something that I've really thought about a, because I'm involved in music, obviously. Um, and B because like for a while, like I would do it myself. And then I, I really, 
forced myself to think through what was going on psychologically, uh, why I felt the need to capture this for whatever reason. And like, so I, I've spent a lot of time kind of unpacking that whole thing because it was important to me to understand why I started doing that when I actually didn't, you know, ever, ever do that before. never felt the need to. And so now when I ever I go to a show, the phone is off, it's in the pocket and I make sure that I'm 100% present. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know. It, it I really kind of, I don't know, probably back to our last convo. I oh, know you're going to go on another rant again. <laughs> I'm not going to go on another rant again. Um, but yeah, just that kind of being in the moment um, is becoming more important to me. Uh, mm. Probably because I'm becoming an old man. <laughs> I feel <laughs> life just going zoop when this I was doing This is like not screen. really relevant at all to what we're talking about, but you mentioned Eminem, Jared. Um, my my kids are massively into Eminem, not through any and I was I was as well. Like I was into all the same hip hop you're into. Well, at least the ones I can see on your wall anyway. Um and through no influence of mine, they're really into him as well. And he seems to me to be more relevant than ever. Like some of his songs TikTok came out when we were younger, are still in the like Spotify charts is not like what's it's not like the billboard chart, it's just what's it's what people are playing. Mm. And like he's got songs like Mockingbird that are like in the charts, in the current Spotify charts, because yeah. kids are like listening to that and getting into that now. I don't even know how, but like TikTok. Kids- there was a TikTok trend of um, using Mockingbird with like family montage kind of shots. Oh, my God, really? And that was it. Then, and like, and yeah, you're right. Like, wow. Without a doubt, still to this day, um, for whatever reason, still, yeah, being followed. Yeah, and then yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't. Think, I, that's funny. That's a TikTok thing. TikTok, dude. Some of his lyrics are so bad. Like, I think it comes on in the car. I'm like, this is so awful. Like, I don't know if I want kids listening to this shit. But that's that's what we heard at the time too. Oh, we sure did. It's so bad. Yeah. I remember like playing corn uh, in the car at like full volume when I was like twelve or thirteen, <laughs> and like thinking it was the best thing ever. Like, mum must have been having an absolute heart attack. But you know, with three boys in the car just screaming their heads off, I don't think she really. She was out outnumbered, definitely, uh, and outgunned. But <laughs> I look back at that now, I'm like, oh, probably can't play that one to the kids. Uh, <laughs> but man, at the time, it's you don't really realize it. Um, just what's quite going on. I think it's just the the whatever the. I don't know. I don't. I've, I've really yeah. That's an interesting one. <laughs> Hindsight's great, isn't it? Well, I just I just figure the lyrics in songs don't really matter too much. It's just kind of I feel like they just chuck them in because they sound good most of the time. I mean, you know more about music than I do, but from interviews and things I've listened to, it seems to me that like in most songs, people get into what the song sounds and feels like and don't pay like a whole lot of attention to what they're about. Like some of my favorite songs, I have no idea what they're about. Yeah, there's definitely a group of people, you know, popular music where that would make sense, I would think. The harmony and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the and wall it's... is my testament to the actual lyrics and the stuff that I like to, you know, that's that's the music to me. That's part of the instrument. But that's yeah. that's rare. That's not how everyone listens. You know what, what's been coming up on my TikTok lately? I don't know if you've seen these, Jared, is like some early clips of Kanye playing 
college dropout to Pharrell and and other people as well, like literally playing like the first raw version of some of these songs. It's the fucking coolest. Yeah, that's a good documentary too. Yeah, that's a cracking documentary. What's a documentary? Jesus. Genius. Genius. Oh, on Netflix. Genius. Oh, that oh that Netflix one. Is that what that's from? Go watch it. Yep. Oh, dude, I have to watch that. Three part or something. Mm. It's really good. Really good. Because like there's actually a whole story and he had someone following him for years before he even blew up. Just just because. <laughs> and that they got all the footage of the whole thing. Um yeah, the b- before and after, and yeah, it's really good. That's cool. That album's up there. It's the be- best of all time. Actually, all all three of those up the top there. All three <laughs> ones at the top there. <laughs> so we dropped the uh, rankings in Norway, was it? Yeah, we went from, well, we were 15th in entrepreneurship in Norway. I mean, we've only got like 50 listeners, but that's enough to, that's enough to make the rankings in Norway. But <laughs> <laughs> when I log in, when I log in, it tells me, oh, no, actually it sends me a weekly report. Um, and we we went down to like fifty. So yeah, if we got any Norwegian listeners, please share this with your friends and see if we can top top it. Yeah, that'd be sick. Uh, well, we did have a topic for today, but I, I feel like we've probably talked enough. We've been going for a while. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it probably leans into um, you know we've we've spoken on some of the the changes that have happened and things that we look back on and laugh at. And I reckon the next time we talk, it's probably a, an opportunity to talk about some of our own disasters. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we'll do it next week. That sounds good. Oh, I do have one thing. Okay. I, uh, I had a chat to the guy who bought your monkey today, Dan. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, what do you mean a chat? Like a Twitter chat? Yeah, he was on the Twitter spaces, the on-chain monkey oh, really? Twitter spaces today. Um, and he's rocking it as his PFP on Twitter. And, um, I saw it. I follow him on Twitter now. He's an American guy, but he actually lives in Sydney. Um, and he's going to be up in Brisbane next week for a wedding. What? Um, and so we're going to try and catch up and I'm going to try and give him one of the cans. Oh, uh, that's so cool. So we might try and catch up at um, Black Ops in Brisbane. And um, Oh, that's so cool. Um, have a little meetup. So did he know about it before he bought the NFT? Did you ask him that? I think so, yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was Provenance, aware. the story. Like, that's actually really cool. There's, it's more to it than just a, a, a picture, which is the narrative that gets flopped around, doesn't it, with um, NFTs and crypto. But, yeah. like, there's good stories around there. Yeah. And and this, the, I think the funny thing is is that it's going to take a long time for these stories to develop and grow their own kind of lore and, you know, uh, because there's, it's so cash-grabby and scammy, you know, that, that at the moment, you know, there's a, a handful of projects that are going to survive and, like, you know, they're the ones that are going to be able to tell the stories in three or four years' time that'll set the kind of foundations, I think, for the next really kind of drive to what um, to what can happen. Uh, a, a side note, um, in the US today, uh, Nike um, completed their uh, drop for the um, Air Force Ones for their dot swoosh. So mm. um, it's it's happening. Um and it's it's yeah it's pretty cool. So, well, they're legacy brands that mm-hmm. that understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building experiences using new tech in novel ways, and there's some yeah, there's genuinely good stuff that's happening. And um, it's still a little bit too early for for the majority of people, but yeah, I think there's value here. 
Well, I hope my monkey doesn't get too famous because I'll fucking regret selling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought Axe Daddy this week on the NFT um, space. I bought what? an NFT called Axe Daddy. Axe Daddy. Yeah. Yeah, it was like almost two ETH. Um, <laughs> it was a Matt, a Matt Fury who's oh, the creator okay. of um, Pepe the Frog. Um, oh, I gotcha. Dude, so many words. I have no idea what any of those mean. Well, you would have seen the Pepe the Frog meme. Everyone's seen that meme before. It's like it got it got taken over by um people, you know, for the wrong sort of reasons. But it's like this frog, yeah. oh, this sad frog, the sad frog thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he created that, and this is my axe daddy. It's in the chat. He's um, he's <laughs> I even bought axedaddy.eth as the address. What do you mean you bought it? Uh, you know how you've got like danorris.eth or yeah, yeah. Well, I went and registered axdaddy.eth what? to go with to go with the domain. What? Why what? not? <laughs> Just I thought it was a very good meme and funny, and he's now my third of that collection. Um, so yeah, I've got three of them, That's and one funny. of them is like my Twitter profile. You are oh, the other one. But yeah, then ah, there's gotcha. You see Axe Daddy? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like there's a whole reason behind why I bought that. It's not like the whole open on-chain monkey thing. Like they're it's just art. It's literally just a dude who's doing art. Mm. Um, and that's a different reason to buy these things. I think it'll appreciate because of who the artist is, and that's the only reason mm. I've got. Yeah. Anyway, it was cool awesome. stuff happening. All right. Good chat, guys. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. I'll see, see you guys next week.